Well, hello and welcome to the No Filter Needed podcast, where we cut the fluff, expel those myths and kick unobtainable standards to the curb. I am your host, Camilla Collins, self-image consultant, author and founder of multiple beauty and creative entertainment agencies. I am super passionate about empowering people to change their self-perception and reimagine not just the beauty, but the huge amount of power within themselves. And this podcast is in support of my mission to do just that. Well, hello and welcome back to the hashtag No Filter Needed podcast. And this episode is a very special episode because uh, we have a repeat guest. I've got the lovely Zoe Aston back on today. And Zoe did the first, which well, is my first ever guest, and it was the first ever episode of this podcast that we recorded gosh, what seems like a lifetime ago now, but perhaps only about eight months. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't checked that episode out, then I really encourage you to go back and do that. Uh, We covered so much stuff from addiction or process addictions, uh, dating, relationships, body image. Uh, We talked about triggers and we even came up with um, our own term, which I want to discuss a little more today, uh, called digital disorders. So Zoe, welcome back. Hiya, thank you for having me again. It's just so nice. It it was such a great chat that we had. Obviously, we've spoken loads since. um, (laughs) But yeah, super keen to have you back on because I feel like we could just talk for days. And I'm just so excited to hear all of your insights and and all of your stuff um, because I just find it fascinating. I find just, yeah, anything of the mind um, and psychology just super, super fascinating. And so tell me. Tell me, what have you noticed? Um, because there's been a lot going on uh, the last six or seven months with the pandemic. Um, people's mental health has been um, a very big thing. And I'm, I know obviously you're seeing your clients and I'm sure you've noticed um, a lot of things coming up. And I just wondered if you could share any of that with us, like the main common fears, the things that are triggering people and, and also how people are overcoming some of that stuff in in the last few months yeah I mean there's just been so much change it kind of when I think about sort of recapping what everyone has been going through over the past the past few months since March I kind of feel like um the the sort of disparity between what was happening then and what's happening now is so huge that for um weeks but (laughs) what I can say is I think the the, the sort of fundamental difficulties that people have had is that we've had a massive experience of grief, experience of loss. And with that has come a very harsh wake up call for everyone to work on their self-esteem because we've had no choice other than to kind of like ourselves. And for those of us who don't like ourselves or don't like parts of ourselves, we've been faced with those parts of ourselves um, in ways that we have never been before because we've been socializing or shopping or exercising or doing the things that we do to kind of keep ourselves feeling good enough. Um, And I think if I was going to pick one thing out of all the themes that have come up over the past eight months, if I was going to pick one thing, that would be it. Wow, uh, 100%. I totally get that. And I, yeah, I I saw that and I felt it a little myself. Um, I realized 
how how busy I had been and, and what my busyness was giving me, as in what parts of myself it was taking me away from. And, and I think we we all do that. So when obviously there's the un, uncertainty um, of our routines being taken away from us, but uh, the distractions are, are crutches in yeah. a way, aren't mm. they? Yeah, well, they're kind of external esteem. They kind of prop us up, which is fine. I would say to people, like, it's absolutely fine for you to kind of reach outside of yourself to prop yourself up as and when you need to. But if you can't support yourself from the inside, then eventually at some point you'll run into trouble. And sadly, this year, some of us have run into trouble prematurely than potentially we were supposed to. Mm. Um, Because usually you kind of find out the stuff about yourself when something major happens, there's a trauma, there's a big life transition. Um, but it's almost like globally, we've, we've had a, we've sort of had a global yet personal experience of getting to know ourselves in a very intimate, very intimate ways. I don't know, is that, is that even, could that be quite a good thing in a way that we're, we're going through this together? I mean, uh, obviously, it's quite traumatizing to, to yeah. do and to be faced with that or faced with yourself or parts of yourself like that and it's particularly when there's a lot of fear and panic sort of going on outside um but do you think it's going to come up at at sort of some point do you think it's a bad thing that that a lot of people have had to go there um I guess prematurely and start sort of dealing with that stuff and the fact that actually everybody's dealing with that stuff together so it's not so um lonely providing they have the the right support and and they know the right, I guess, resources to go to and, and, and people to reach out to a lot, obviously, online because we weren't seeing other people. But do you think that's a potential benefit if we're really trying to look for a silver lining here? I think it's absolutely going to be a benefit. I mean, it, it um, it's rough right now and it's a shock and it's a wake up call. And because we don't have the resources handy and we don't know where to go to ask for help around these things and stigma around mental health has kind of kept us quiet historically. Um, we'll have a mental health pandemic because the rise in anxiety, depression, depression, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. I think there's going to be lots of people who suffer this winter with their mood. There will be a, a, a mental health pandemic. But hopefully what that will do for at least part of the population is push them into helping themselves, which may have been, when I say premature, may have been kind of before they were ready. But lots of people, let's face it, spend their whole t- whole lives waiting to be ready to take that step or take that leap or take that jump. And mm-hmm. as much as COVID has affected our mental health, this was around before. You know, it's just brought it to the surface. It's brought it's brought it into into eyeline um rather than us being able to ignore it so yeah I think absolutely I think I've done a lot of talking about mental health and COVID over the past few months and there are a number of positives that will come out of it I hope um and one of those is that potentially we will have for our generation and the next generation to really understand what it means to be able to emotionally support yourself and also what it means to lean on others in a functional way and the other one that I think will be really helpful in the future is boundaries you know Mm -hmm. I think this has given us a really clear indication a really clear outline of actually what boundaries look like whereas historically social norms you know hugging and kissing and all sorts of things that have been a little bit 
you know, it's been potential that lines have been crossed and touching other people and, you know, all the sort of edge towards things like um, Me Too or any kind of inappropriate um, conduct. Um, we now understand exactly what personal space is. And moving away from someone is no longer offensive to the person. In fact, it's understood as a self-protective strategy. And in fact, it's protecting the other person as well, which is exactly what boundaries are. But historically, um, we if you were to move away from someone on the street, you might have been you know, accused of um, offending them or being frightened or you know, even being um, uh, um, aggressive in some way. Um, and, and it's almost like the virus has given us permission to actually take that space and, and get used to other people taking that space as well. So, I mean, these are just my um, fantasies about what might turn in, what might turn into positives um, out of what we've been through over the past eight months. But I really, really hope that we get a good handle on self-esteem and boundaries. And I think we'll also have a really good understanding of what it feels like to be powerless, out of control and vulnerable, which are is a situation that most of us avoid for the majority of our lives. Really such great points. Um, and, I, and I so agree about the, I guess, the self-awareness, the, the self-awareness that people are gaining about themselves and, and kind of have done now that they've been forced into isolation in particular, um, but also kind of other situations that's made them ask themselves questions and whether that's about themselves the way they live their lives their lifestyle their careers their relationships of course it's massively uncomfortable but going in that place and kind of I guess being boxed in with it um you you have to deal with it there's only kind of one way out and that's through and and I am a huge advocate of of self-awareness and and just I think if there's any education you can do the best education is in yourself and how you work and what makes you tick and what triggers you and how your brain works because you can just navigate life better get navigate your own life um, which is obviously really important to do to to get along and to, and to be happy um, but I, I love that about the boundaries and again it's it's just that kind of following along with what everybody else is is doing and not really questioning why and kind of falling into these behaviors and falling into these social patterns and social norms even if it's not feeling quite right with you and I guess that quiet time we've had although I say quiet time it's been a bit of mad panic um in places but that I guess that more alone time been able to understand how we truly feel about these things and and about ourselves and about other people and I, I mean personally for me as well I find I find other people I get really drained around other people not not all people and some more than others and, and not because not in a bad way um but I, I find sort of meeting with people just drain can drain my energy and I was always I was meeting with multiple people like a lot through the day and wondering why I was sort of tired and now that I'm aware of that because I haven't been able to see people and I've really noticed I can sort of manage my time better and not get so frustrated with myself and try to push on um, and just manage yeah my schedule and my time better so that I mean that's something I've noticed for myself. Yeah I would completely identify with that actually I I used to not have a kind of limit on I, well I had a sort of idea about the sort of limit on the amount of work I could handle in a week mm. but actually during the past few months I have a I have an exact number of hours per day that I spend doing things now um and I think that's been really helpful but also the, the thing about boundaries I think is I, I'm particularly sort of attuned to it because 
I remember being in my, in my teens and my 20s and, um, you know, often hugging people or kissing people on the cheek as greetings and feeling really uncomfortable. And it's partly because of what I was going through myself. But I didn't want to be hugging and touching and kissing mm-hmm. these people. Um, for me, that was physical contact is kind of a very intimate thing. And I there was there, people were offended if I didn't want to kind of greet in that way it was very strange whereas um there's a part of me although I'm a bit sort of older and I'm kind of in a different place but now there's a part of me that is so relieved that I no longer have to go through the hugging kissing touching thing every time I see someone and I think that is just a really good example of just how difficult boundaries set if we haven't been given an actual tangible thing to justify them and I hope that through this process people have like yourself, become aware of exactly what their personal space needs are, virus included or not, um, mm-hmm. and are going to be able to stick to that. It will contribute to just a, he- a healthier generation, a healthier community. Absolutely. Yeah, I, th- I think if everyone's more living by their their standards and their and the values and what feels right for them, then uh, it will just be a, an all-round happier place and everyone kind of knows where they stand with each other but also knows where they stand with themselves and that's really interesting about you saying about um boundaries when you were younger and I'm just thinking also you know childhood my my dad bless him I love him to bits he's he's just well you've met my dad over friendly um you know and quite tactile person that's just you know the way the way he is um and I'm a hugger myself and even just you saying that actually I'm thinking well I can tend to gauge when people don't want hugging um (laughs) and I don't try to hug them but sometimes it's just that awareness of other people um and I'm really glad it's just come up on um for discussion in I think that's something for everyone to be mindful of around around other people because I feel like we we have our own realities and we have our own little bubble worlds that we we live in and we sometimes forget that everyone else is in their little worlds too and have different um opinions about things and different views on things yeah, totally. And what you'll notice now is what I've noticed anyway, is that people are saying, oh, are you hugging? Asking permission before they touch you, which is absolutely the way it should be. And I, I do a lot of working gyms. And I, there was a time when I said to a load of um, a group of personal trainers, if you're going to adjust someone, you must ask permission. And they all kind of sort of huffed and puffed about it. And I was like, it's a very um, personal thing for your for someone else that you hardly know to be maneuvering your body and they kind of said oh that's part of the job I was like sure but it doesn't take much to say can I adjust you Um, and that's what we're doing now we're saying to each other can I hug you are you hugging so you're getting permission to touch the person before you do the touching which is all that needs to be done and the majority of people will probably say yes like you know if if you and I met we'd probably hug and that would be fine but it's the it's the having the option having the opportunity to say yes or no before your sort of boundary is assumed by the other person you're so right and as you're saying this I'm like why on earth have we not been doing this the whole time actually there are people like me who have been pushing it pushing it (laughs) for years but it's such a um I think people are frightened of hearing a no they're frightened of getting rejected so generally we don't like to make ourselves vulnerable by posing a question that could receive an authentic no no thanks so we kind of prefer to kind of stand in our power and say, right, well, you know, if I'm a, a PT, I'm going to adjust you or I'm going to hug you or um, I'm going to do this to kind of assert something with you. But sometimes that causes problems is too strong a word, but feelings brings up feelings for people that we haven't historically 
really paid that much attention to and you know you'll know from any of the anyone who has read any of my work or looked at my Instagram will know that I'm always talking about feelings and how they are indications of something that needs to happen next they are how we choose they are the things that inform our choices and how we action ourselves and if we ignore them we end up losing ourselves and abandoning ourselves and ultimately rejecting ourselves because we're unable to put in boundaries when we need to with other people 100% um and and that's that you know denying yourself as well is you're stripping your own power away if you're trying to be something that you're not um or you know push down feelings you're not living true to you and that's not a confident or happy place to be living your life from and you so I mean I don't think we think we talked about this and I'm sure you were writing your book at the beginning well the beginning of the year um it was kind of in the pipeline but uh the the book's not out yet but you have released an early part of the the book during during lockdown right because you everyone needed help with all this stuff and it, and it obviously couldn't wait so can you tell us all a bit more about what's kind of in the book and also in the in the first aid kit that you've released in in lockdown and how how it's been helping people yeah, absolutely. So yeah, the book is due out next May, um, Mental Health Awareness Month in the UK, um, 2021. Um, and then, so this was kind of settled earlier this year, and then COVID happened. And the publishers were like, uh, we need to like give this information out now, people need this information now, they don't need it next May, they need something now, can you do something now? <laughs> and <I'm> like, <laughs> boundaries, like, boundaries, oh. no. <laughs> um, and they were like, yeah, just like a short version and come up with something. So initially I created like a slimline version of next year's book. And then we kind of decided to actually change that completely and create a first aid kit rather than your mental health workout. Um, it's your mental health first aid kit. So it's a, a accumulation. It's, it's about, I think it's 17 or 18,000 words. So it's not huge, but it's a sort of accumulation of bits and pieces that people can do in mental health emergencies that will help calm the nervous system, help self-soothe, help put action in and help you feel um, empowered and work on your self-esteem, work on your boundaries. And it's, you know, I've called it your mental health first aid kit, quick and easy techniques for coming out of lockdown. But quite frankly, it would work for any other sort of mental health emergency. So someone who was grieving or had a massive change in their life or moved countries um these are sort of like the basic pieces of information that are going to keep you above board when things are a bit difficult so yes the ebook's out now and you can get that on a number of platforms but i think um amazon google play all the kind of ebook platforms and then the main book is out next may in paperback and you can pre-order that now actually on amazon amazing and exciting times you can have a book out a real life book, a physical a real one. life book, like yours. Yeah. <laughs> oh, best feeling, the best feeling. Um, uh, no, that that's just, that's amazing. So, I mean, what, I guess maybe they, they might be in the first aid um, kit, but what, what sort of things are, have been helping people or have you been working with people uh, through your, through your work during, during the pandemic, during the lockdown? What's, what's been helping people to kind of overcome, gosh, anything from, all the fear the anxiety um depression just general mental health ups and downs i think yeah fear anxiety the uncertainty um depression all that stuff has been you know very very salient for lots of people um the main things that i included and the main things that i put in the i focused on in the first aid kit 
are um, self-esteem and boundaries. They're the, I sort of regard them as like your mental health warm-up. So if ever you're going to do anything mental health, self-esteem and boundaries come first. Um, and then after that, I kind of looked at reconnecting, being able ha- finding ways of reconnecting. And when I say that, um, I think about connecting as ways of connecting with ourselves so knowing our own wants and needs, as well as connecting with others. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think sometimes we think about connection and we think, oh, I must go and seek out another person. Um, but I think what lockdown taught me again, is that, you know, people who were isolating alone and experiencing loneliness, they had to learn to cope with that. They didn't have the option to, you know, go out and meet a friend or two. Um, they were lonely. And for the first time had to really kind of be with that. And, often we get lonely because we have lost ourselves and being lost is the probably the scariest thing for human beings. When we're kids, the idea of being lost is the thing that frightens us most. It's, you know, if you, if you, um, if you've ever seen a kid lost in a shop, you know, they're absolutely terrified or even sort of losing um, consciousness when we go to sleep, it's terrifying for us as we're children. Actually as a human that's why we have like to have our parents there when we fall asleep if we can. But as we grow up, we sort of learn to orientate ourselves um, and we use our life and our lifestyle skills to help us have, navigate our own worlds. But when your own world has been disturbed and disruptive, disrupted, you are going to feel lost. Mm-hmm. And lots of us don't realise that that is probably one of the scariest things that can happen to a human being. Um, and because we weren't tangibly, physically you know, actually lost. We weren't sort of, um, we hadn't sort of lost our homes and were wandering around a jungle somewhere, not knowing what to do. We were sort of psychologically lost. Um, It was very difficult to put a handle on. So the, I focused on connection as something that connects you with yourself in order to kind of soothe that feeling and then also ensure that you're kind of connecting with others. And the other stuff that I think was really helpful is really formulating a self-care menu repertoire that works for you as an individual so we Mm. tend to focus on external self-care and there are lots and lots of companies there's a whole sort of consumer-based experience that relies on us Mm. only using external self-care which is fine when life is fine Um, but what we don't often do is use external self-care which is you know buying us nice stuff and doing candles and bubble baths and massages and going on holidays and um, grooming and you know that kind of stuff Um, we often forget that we need to use that to create space for the internal self-care and lockdown gave people an opportunity to do that internal self-care which can actually be quite uncomfortable so one of the other things I focused on and still do focus on when I'm working with people at the moment is how they create a really individualized self-care menu that's going to work for them because what works for you just for self-care might not work for me and if I look at what you're posting or what you're talking about and I go okay I'm going to try that and it doesn't work for me I make up there's something wrong with me because I'm invested in your self-care menu not mine so coming up with stuff that is actually brings up hope and hopefulness rather than sort of copying each other and moving into comparing and is also a really helpful thing and I think in part having the gyms closed and the shops closed was helpful because Mm -hmm. we had to find other ways of making ourselves feel good got every every single point there I should have written them down just to make sure I go back and cover them but yeah totally you're talking my language uh, particularly about finding what's what's right for you Um, and that's 
you know kind of what drives me mad with the with the marketers like here have my blueprint a blueprint even to get you know whatever it is or to fix yourself in in some way and you might have some success in whatever area for for a short period of time but you're always reliant on that on that blueprint and it's not sustainable because it's not you know unless you're living your life like the the person who that blueprint works for uh it's it's not going to work for you so it's just so important for people to find what works for them and there's no rules you know there's no there's no rules with it whatever makes you feel good and there's no point saying oh well this makes me feel good but it shouldn't make me feel good you know if it makes you feel good then then kind of manage that and incorporate that in some way um whatever makes you feel bad even if it's you know for instance like just healthy foods um if there's foods that you really don't like don't force yourself to eat them there's plenty of healthy foods around i'm sure you can find something um there's no yeah i i ask rather than good and bad i ask people to think about whether they feel hopeful or hopeless so for example it might be that like oh i'm gonna eat you know my five fruit and veg a day someone might feel really hopeless about that they might hear that and be like oh god that feels like such a chore which just means that actually that's not something that's going to work for them on their self-care menu at the moment. But maybe for them doing exercise each day or having a sleep hygiene routine or speaking to themselves kindly each day brings on a sense of like, yeah, that feels like something that could really kind of ignite hope and um, orientation towards the future. Um, that, then that's something to include. So I think it's helpful um to kind of think about hope and particularly at the moment and I'm going to be talking about it on my Instagram account this weekend actually but particularly at the moment hope I don't think we're talking about hope enough and the importance of it and how it is hope that basically is keeping us keeping us going right now because we've got no idea what's in store for us next year um so I say you know just think about whether that self-care action when you consider it brings up a feeling of hope and if it doesn't just put it aside for a second but if it does, then that's something that may well be really good for your relationship with yourself. I love that. That's so true. And you and you mentioned sleep hygiene there. One of my clients was asking about uh, this recently. Kind of what would you say is a good sleep hygiene um, routine? Have you got any thoughts around that or pearls of wisdom? I think, yeah, particularly, at, oh, I don't know if it's a pearl of wisdom, but particularly at the moment, I think it's important as we go into winter because... I know as the weather's changed for me, my mood has certainly changed and I've sort of found it more difficult to go out and therefore I'm getting less sunlight and therefore my sleep is disturbed. Um, so understanding what creates a good sleep routine, a good sleep hygiene routine um, and putting it into action is really, really helpful. It's also something that I don't talk about in your mental health workouts, um, but I know it's very important for mental health. So I like talking about it as much as I can elsewhere. Um, basically, you need good quality sleep. And the main ways to achieve that is to make sure that your serotonin and your melatonin are being sort of activated and used up appropriately. So basically serotonin, there's a part of your brain called the hypothalamus and it controls like your appetite and your, I think your circadian rhythms, your sleep, your hormones. And particularly in the winter, um, it doesn't, because we don't have bright sunlight hitting our eyes as much basically it doesn't produce um i'm just going to give a caveat because i'm slightly um doubting myself but i'm pretty sure <laughs> this um it doesn't produce as much serotonin 
or the serotonin gets used up quicker. So serotonin is the drug, the the, the drug, the um, chemical that makes you feel happy, and um, and melatonin is the one that makes you feel sleepy. So what we need is melatonin to not be around so much during the day, and serotonin to be active. And in the evening, we need serotonin and cortisol as low as possible. Well, not necessarily serotonin, but those chemicals are generally lower and melatonin is higher so that we can kind of drift off to sleep um but if that's not happening and you're finding that you're not going to sleep or not able to sleep or you're anxious before you sleep or you're waking up early it might be that actually you can kind of trick your body into resetting itself and you can do things like use bright light therapy which is something that i really i've used for years and years and years exposing yourself to bright light in the morning whether that's actually using like a an sad lamp or going outside and getting sunlight in your eyes. So, for example, if I go out in the morning, I purposely won't wear sunglasses. But if I go for a walk in the afternoon, I'll wear sunglasses to kind of protect my circadian rhythms. Um, unless it's really grey and horrible, then I probably won't wear sunglasses. But generally, I try and get bright light onto my face first thing in the morning. Um, and that kind of helps your body reset. But the other things you can do in the evening are stuff like your body needs to cool down in order to, I think it's, four degrees no that might that sounds a bit like a lot but anyway <laughs> your body needs to cool down by a couple of degrees for it to fall asleep so for some people having a hot shower as hot as kind of quite hot not like self-harming hot but hot enough that it heats you up and then uh, about an hour or an hour and a half before you go to bed letting your body cool for that hour and a half it tricks the body into the sleep process because it feels itself cooling down. And then when you go to sleep, it, when you get into bed, it cools you down by another couple of degrees so that you can drift off. Um, things like reading are really good, kind of, I call them a bridge. They're like a bridge to the sleep world. So things that take you out of your own thoughts. So you're not sitting there thinking about work or your own anxieties or what so-and-so said this, there and the other, or um, pondering on how you can make that document better or make that person feel better about this, that and the other, that you're actually, your head is in a novel or your head is in something that isn't related to you. Um, and that can really calm anxious thoughts. I mean, there's so many little bits and pieces. Those are kind of the main ones. And the, the the one that lots of people know about is going to bed at the same time. And if that's really difficult, get up at the same time anyway. So if you get up at seven, whether you go to bed at 10 or midnight or two, still get up at seven. Um, so you're, you're just teaching, you're giving your body a routine. And at the moment, routines are really important because we've got such little definition to our day. Um, and so, but going to sleep and waking up are really obvious things that you can set times for. Um, and I think it's one way that we're going to be able to hold on to structure through the winter, even for those of us who are kind of working from home and don't really have that many places to go. Um, there's a great book called Why We Sleep. I uh, can't remember the author right now, but it's excellent. Lots more information than I'm giving right now and sort of the science behind it. Uh, but it's I found that book really, really helpful and really understanding the importance of sleep. Because um, I'm someone who I historically I can be like, oh, I'm a bit tired. I'm like, it's all right, I'll get over it. I can handle it. And actually, I'm not good when I'm tired. And I really need to understand that. I've been tired this week for a, a number of reasons. And I am, when I'm tired, I am very emotional. <laughs> and at some point, it will bubble over and it'll all get a little bit too much. But nothing specific has happened. It's mainly down to the point that I'm I'm tired and I can't cope with my feelings as well as I can when I'm not tired. And so it made me really reconsider the importance of good quality sleep. So I'd really recommend that book for anyone who's listening and wants more information. It's really important to not just for this, but to educate yourself on 
why anything because it's I feel like a lot of people just want the the solution just tell me what to do and I'll do it but I think if we don't understand why we need to do this then we don't necessarily follow through with it or we don't believe in it because we don't understand it so I always think it's really important to learn about these changes and, and learn about the the science I guess behind behind this sort of stuff I mean I personally you're talking about not getting out as much in the winter either and I always find a little walk in the sort of late afternoon or early evening even though it's quite dark now a sort of calms me down uh, and sort of burns off any excess energy as well that might have me a little wound up I guess that wouldn't wouldn't allow me to sleep properly Mm. at night Mm. Um, but really interesting about the the temperature the temperature thing because yeah a hot bath generally does does the trick but I didn't realize that was the reason why because my body's cooling not because it's hot you're forcing your body into kind of mimicking falling asleep so it kind of I think it's to do with the melatonin yeah I think it's to do with it might be to do with the melatonin anyway you have to cool down in order to sleep so it's important that your room's like not too hot or not too cold um but making sure that you've got like an appropriate an appropriate sort of maneuverable uh temperature change so your body knows that oh that means I'm going to sleep and what about because we we sort of coined a phrase well we came up with the term digital disorders didn't we back in February or whenever it was (laughs) um and talking about I guess addiction sort of around um and the screen time just the the impacts of of that and and what I guess new mental health um or rather mutations of, of existing mental health um conditions that that could bring and I just wondered over uh, the last sort of six months or so have you seen an increase or have you seen I guess more detrimental effects to all this screen time because we've had like zoom fatigue and all of these kind of things and people you know coming off social media altogether because they just you know couldn't hack it um, and it got sort of really noisy and then sort of trickling back on but how have you found have you have you could you relate any specific kind of trends or things that have gone on in relation to the amount of screen time that we've all or the excessive amount of screen time that we've all been having since we've been locked away indoors and that's our only way of really communicating communicating with people no I think I think one of the main problems is with the digital stuff and lockdown is that we haven't we don't yet technology is so new our screens are so new um social media is so new we don't yet understand the exact resources and management skills that are needed to have it in our lives Mm. so I mean I certainly if I spend too many time too much time on my screens I get very dry eyed I feel exhausted even if I'm not um I can't sort of take looking at my phone or watching the tv and you know when that's your only source of pleasure when there isn't anywhere else to go with it at the moment it's very difficult to not be on a screen but I think the main problem has been that historically we've kind of done this sort of um screen binging and then detoxing and now we have Mm -hmm. other than to have it in our lives and use it responsibly so I'm sort of trying to think of it a little bit more like an eating pattern so you know you choose what you put into your mouth um on the whole um and you choose what you use what you do for your sort of physical nutrition I think we're going to have to do the same with our digital experience um I'm still waiting for the data, the mental health 
facts, the data to come out. People keep asking me for it. They're like, have you got any facts on mental health and lockdown? And basically, I think they're going to be released in January. I don't think they're going to come out before that. Keep looking for sort of facts and figures for people. But I think ultimately what we do know so far is that searches for anxiety soared in like April, um, a month into lockdown. Um, And then they kind of dropped off when the restrictions were eased in June, July, whenever it was. Um, But the most effective have been women and young people. Um, And that's because in part, they're they're more likely to have lost their jobs because they work more in hospitality. They work more in sort of um, occupations that have not been COVID secure. More women work in sort of person to person jobs than say men and more men work in sort of office jobs that have been very transitional to working from home. So we know that women and young people are going to be most affected by anxiety and depression, other mental health problems through COVID. And the digital stuff is historically the research is that it has we think it's going to have a negative effect on mental health in the long run. But again, it hasn't been around for long enough for us to for us to actually have any like longitude to the data. Basically, we haven't collected enough data yet to really understand the effect of it. I'm repeating myself, but the effect of it on mental health. But fundamentally, we are going to have to learn to manage it. We're going to have to learn to control ourselves around it, to exercise authority around it, to know when it's good for us, to know when it's bad for us. Um, I think another thing that might come a positive that might come out of lockdown is that we are faced with our feelings and therefore hopefully most of us will do something about it so we will create our digital experience to be a positive one rather than something that drains us you were saying earlier that you feel sort of drained when you're around lots of people and lots of us know that it's kind of like if you're more introverted you get drained when you're around people you regain your energy alone and the other way around if you're extroverted and the same is going to be with digital stuff you know some people really feel really energized from watching tv and relaxed from watching tv some people find it frustrating and activating so it's not the best thing for them to do before they go to sleep at night for example some people feel better if they've read all the emails before they go to bed some people feel better if they just don't know before they go to bed and they can have a good night's sleep so knowing what your digital experience has been like and making that helpful to you I think is going to be something that will come out of this so that we don't get things like gaming addiction social media addictions you know the other sort of I can't remember what the other digital disorders that we kind of named were um, but seeking approval through our screens I do hope there'll be a positive outcome from that rather than a negative one, but it has yet to be proved. So insightful, like all of that. And I was just thinking it's like, as you're saying, it, it's too soon um, to tell uh, with with technology. And it just reminds, you know, we're all children in a sense with technology, as in if you left a child with a fridge full of healthy food and loads of sweets and everything, of course they couldn't going to go for the sweets um and and not stop eating you know not going to start giving themselves sort of a balanced diet necessarily they're just going to get the good stuff and not realize the implications further down the line yeah but Uh, also because they want to feel nice now so they'll go for the thing that tastes nice and feel nice now rather than understanding that over a sustained period of time it's better to be more balanced and healthier and it's the same with our it's the same with social media it's just you know do i follow that person or unfollow that person or respond to that email with that text message right now am I going to feel is that going to do me any good responding right now or actually in over a sustained period of time is it that I have to be 
very careful about responding quickly to things. I say that because that's my personal experience. Historically, I've been very quick on my replies and I expect other people to be as quick to respond to me as quickly as I respond to them. And actually, not everyone does that. So actually creating space in the way that I respond to people has been a really helpful part of me kind of managing my own sort of digital disorders. The double tick on WhatsApp, which has not been I've turned that off. I've had that off for <laughs> over a year now. Uh, and it's brilliant. And it was a client um, that told me about it. Yeah, um, I did that a couple of years ago. It was so I just, if there's any way to set me off, it's to, for me to know that you've read a message and you haven't replied. Like, <laughs> my brain, I just go into overdrive about what you think about me and whether you're whether you like me or whether you don't or there's someone else that you're talking to or you just don't care about me enough so you haven't I go into this huge negative fantasy and the fact is that we've all done it we've read a message on the go something's happened um and we've forgotten to reply or it takes a few hours for us to get back to them so turning the blue ticks off was an absolute game changer for me absolutely I love how, how we're having this conversation because mostly you just think, oh, we'll just get over it. I should I should be less sensitive. But it's, we're all the same. We're all the same yeah. when it comes to this. Our, our minds just go. And it's again that, you know, we don't want to be outcast. We don't want to be rejected. It's all those those feelings that are, are naturally going to come up regardless. It's not something that you can really deny. You just manage. You yeah. just manage it. It dep- I have spoken to people, though, who prefer to have the blue ticks on because they like to know that the person's read the message and then they're just sort of secure enough to go, well, they'll reply when they're ready kind of thing. But I've had entire therapy sessions over read messages that haven't been <laughs> to. <laughs> so you have to know yourself. You have to know what you need. So for some people, it's more secure for them. They feel happier um, knowing that the message has been delivered and read. Um, but for other people like myself and possibly you, Camilla, um, it's actually it's better to just not know and let the person reply in their own time rather than sitting around getting anxiety about it. And so it comes back down to self-awareness, doesn't it? And knowing knowing you, um, yeah. knowing how you work. Connecting with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Knowing your needs and wants and really understanding how to get them met. So I mean, and I still do it. You know, I've been working on this for a lifetime, but being able to understand what I need and express that to someone is actually an incredibly difficult piece of self-awareness work. I do it with my therapist. She's like, so what do you need? And I'm like, oh, and then I like babble on about something. <laughs> then we'll talk about how I'm not getting my needs met elsewhere. But I have such trouble putting it into sort of understandable language with the other person. Um, because at times I can be quite disconnected from what I need. Um, so really, I'm really big on getting people to connect with their needs and wants, um, or not getting people to, but supporting people to connect with their needs and wants so that they can have really authentic connections with people around them, whether that's on Zoom or Skype or whatever at the moment, or whether that's in real life. And that's, you know, I find journaling great for that or writing or scrap, whatever you want to call it, um, just to process because you're saying it's quite difficult to sometimes explain to or put into words. But I often find writing things down and kind of processing it that way or arranging it. And you wonder you understand you can see better where the needs not being met or where the source, the real source of the problem is or the root cause of the problem um, just by, I guess, letting it letting it come out on on paper or writing a tool that helps me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think journaling is really important. Isn't that sleep hygiene and journaling are the two things that I don't talk about explicitly with your mental health workouts, but um, they are really important and really good tools for your mental health. Absolutely. And listen, I must ask because um, 
I put out on Instagram earlier. I was just like, I'm on with Zoe. If you've got any questions, <laughs> let me know. Um, and, and just general um, stuff that, that we've covered already, really. Um, but one one particular one, and I think is perhaps on lots of people's minds um, at the moment, is you know how to how to stay positive with going into a second lockdown. Mm. Um, I still think we probably covered a bit of that as well but I don't know if you've got any specific words to say on on that situation should and if that happens yeah so I mean I really wish I had a really good answer to that mm. <laughs> uh but you know they say that therapists don't offer answers they observe and question which is kind of what I spent the last few months doing but just this week I was posting on Instagram about seasonal affective disorder which is quite a simple thing to be talking about basically so I thought I was trying to think sort of more outside the box and I thought do you know what actually this is going to be a bumpy winter for everyone because no one knows whether we're going into another lockdown what's going to happen and um, what's the thing that actually has helped me get through those difficult times and I come back to this thing about hope which seems to be my theme at the moment we have to be able to find hope within ourselves somewhere and believe it or not there are several different types of hope um, there's sort of hope that orientates you towards a goal um, that kind of you choose to kind of feel hopeful there's a sort of more spiritual hope which is a sort of general sense of things will be okay there's the type of hope that happens when we come together for movements like Black Lives Matter or Me Too or um, what's the environmental um, protest called I uh, can't remember, but, you know, all those things where big groups of people come together to affirm change in the future. And then there's also like incremental hope that just the hope that tomorrow is going to be a little bit better than today. So there are so many different ways of hoping. And I think we've generalised a sense of hopelessness uh, this year. So I'm pushing for us to find the little glimmers of hope in ourselves or in other people and hold on to that because that is the thing that will orientate you towards something that's going to be better in the future and if you really can't find hope if you are in a depression or you're feeling really hopeless and helpless find someone in your life or on the tv or in a book that feels hopeful to you and hold on to that in therapy we call it borrowing your ego strength so you can borrow a bit of my hope for example while you don't have any of your own and then you start to cultivate it from the inside I wish there was like a really good practical tip that I could give about keeping people happy and positive um, but ultimately it's an inside job Ultimately, we have to start to be able to produce our own sense of joy, our own sense of hope, our own sense of um, future. Absolutely. Yeah. All of that, I, I agree with. Um, and even, yeah, like you were saying about boring hope, I, I like that. Or, or just tuning. I mean, I don't watch the news anyway. Whatever I need to know will and does find its way to me. Um, yeah. But, I, you know, that, that's not helpful. And even if I sit there going, you know, in a position where I'm like, oh, I'll just switch it on for a little bit. Like it, it goes in. So mm -hmm. it's just so important as well who I think if you're struggling to find that hope or struggling to get yourself out of a funk, it's also worth looking at who who's around you or who you're talking to or what kind of messages you're picking up as well. Yeah, mm. definitely. And for people who are sort of naturally a bit less hopeful, a bit more sort of pessimistic, that's okay too. You can listen to both messages, but just make sure you're listening to the the hope messages as much as you're listening to the internal pessimistic messages absolutely amazing well I think I know you're a very busy lady and you've got things to do but thank you so so much for coming back on and sharing 
so much amazing stuff and, and really useful tips and insights that I know are going to be really helpful to everybody um, at this time in particular. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to meet up soon if we if we can if we're allowed. But yeah, I think I think brunch is due. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> always always ready for brunch. Amazing. Thanks so much, Zoe. You're a superstar. Amazing. Thanks, Camilla. All right. Bye. Bye. I'm back. I really rudely um, and very forgetfully completely forgot to tell you what the lovely Zoe's Instagram handle is and it's at your mental health workout so it's Zoe Aston if you want to have a google around she is part of some really cool stuff um, and she works with loads of amazing brands as well uh, such as Lululemon and Barry's Bootcamp and all sorts um, she's even done something for the um, Iceland Tourism Board so yeah go and check her out uh, she's just done super cool stuff and please do go on her Instagram she's sharing every single day so much stuff that will support you at all times um, but particularly at this time so it's really worth checking in giving her a follow and uh, just yeah just keeping an eye out on uh, on the helpful tools that she provides you with thank you so much for listening I hope you got some good takeaways from today and if so then please do leave a review Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode and you can find further insights and tools over at camillacollins.com.